0: This week, on A Lively Experiment, federal stimulus money is causing headaches for local small businesses. We'll tell you why. Plus, the push for more people to be vaccinated, with an eye toward rolling back restrictions this summer.
1: A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by...
2: For more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White Jr.,
0: and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us with the analysis, Donna Perry, columnist for the Sun Chronicle, Keith Stokes, Vice President of the 1696 Heritage Group, and Corporate Communications Consultant, Dave Lehman. Welcome to Lively, everybody. We appreciate you spending part of your weekend with us. Well, you might call it unintended consequences. The extension of federal unemployment benefits has many workers opting not to come back to work, instead staying home, making more money collecting. And that has a lot of business owners, not only here in Rhode Island, but across the country, scrambling to find employees and a little worried as we go into the busy summer season. Um, Keith, as uh, our Aquidneck Island correspondent, let me begin with you. Uh, Newport is tourism central. The iron in these benefits is uh, everybody was excited about them coming, but I'm not sure. And and obviously the loosening of the restrictions. But now if you got to wait two hours to get your appetizer at a restaurant, that's not good for anybody.
2: Now, it, it's a challenge, but let me be clear that this labor shortage is a challenge across the board, across all sectors, not only hospitality. We're seeing it in small manufacturers. We're seeing it in other services, even in professional services. Um, and again, this labor shortage is particularly a high price, particularly for small businesses. I do see this as an opportunity to fast track training programs, recruitment efforts, uh, particularly with the massive uh, American Recovery Act and similar dollars coming to states and some large cities. Um, So I think there are some opportunities to be a little bit thinking outside the box uh, to be able to recruit and retain, you know, quality employees. And I think some of the things we need to be looking at quite, quite carefully is, is that one, we need to widen our recruitment process and particularly to include a lot of our urban communities where the population growth is the fastest and where much of the federal and other public stimulus dollars are really targeting. So there's a real incentive for businesses, small businesses to recruit, train and place certain populations that have been mostly impacted by the COVID disruptions. Um, I think you're going to see a lot more partnerships. Um, in fact, in Rhode Island, uh, Rhode Island Department of Labor and Training, which will see significant uh, unemployment, but also workforce training dollars, uh, they have a program called Real Jobs, which is outstanding. It's been highly successful. Uh, they're looking to further expand the program, and they're particularly looking to target the program to help existing businesses recruit and train in place uh, quality employees. So I think there's an opportunity here, but we're gonna to have to think on our feet and we're gonna to have to partner. And I think most importantly, we need to, as a business, we need to begin to provide benefits that entice uh, and keep employees. And it'll be things such as comprehensive health care. I mean, healthcare has become a real priority for all of us this past year and a half. I've seen transportation become an issue. We all love living in Rhode Island, but we're parochial. And if you've got a business in North Kingston and you're recruiting a workforce from Woonsocket area, transportation incentives need to become important. So these are all the things and many others that we'll be doing and need to do over the next several months to get our businesses back on track.
0: Yeah, after all, this is Rhode Island, North Kingstown to uh, Woonsocket is uh, a very long trip. Donna, uh, you know, all of that is great for the long run. For the short term, we're looking at a season. Uh, I found it interesting that the governor of Montana said, we're not participating in this federal program, that's it. Now, I don't think that's gonna happen in Rhode Island, but what can, what can government do now? I don't I, th- I don't think the federal government fully thought this through when they passed the second stimulus.
3: Yeah, I would agree. And I would agree with you, Keith, that, you know, I think workforce development for the long term and, and having good employee stability, you know, supports, benefits, that's where it's got to go for the long term. But this is really at a tipping point right now. Here we are, May. Some folks I talked to um, up here around North Attleboro for other work I, I was doing up here. I mean, they are saying... This is really at a crunch point and that those extended benefits, the federal government really kind of screwed up by extending it through the summer. Uh, Folks in the restaurant industry, that was the one thing they really didn't want to see for exact for what's playing out right now. when you talk about the restaurant industry, you guys know in that federal, the, the, the last big, you know, 1.8 gazillion that we just passed, we do need that help. Okay. Fine. There's about 30 billion in there just for the restaurant industry, because guess what? They were so badly hurt. And folks I just spoke to for other writing I'm doing last week said, can't get kitchen staff, can't get wait table staff right at the tipping point when finally. You know, the restrictions are dropping and they expect they want floods of people in downtowns, whether it's, you know, Providence, uh, Newport, certainly the east side and everything. So it's really a collision of, of a really tough moment. Uh, if you talk to restaurant people, they are saying what we don't we want now to fill up the place, the sidewalk cafes, we can't get the staff. It's a real problem.
1: Dave. The, uh, the hospitality industry has lost uh, probably a, a third of their workers uh, as a result of this. And it may very well be that, uh, that the stimulus may do to the industry what the pandemic has already done to it. And there may not be an easy exit point on this because you do have so many people staying at home. Uh, I often wonder how uh, the employers especially in the in the uh, hospitality industry who have had longtime employees with them and those employees are not coming back to work there's a loyalty element here that kind of uh, escapes me i don't quite understand that i do understand the pull of being able to make as much money by staying at home or maybe even making more money in some cases but what does that do to the employer who has employed you for maybe many years? if i were If I were an employer, I would be very disappointed with some of the loyalty that I've seen by by the workers. so uh, there's a there, this is a real problem, and I think Keith, you were talking into the future, but I think the present is going to be a killer. I remember talking with um, a number of people in the Newport restaurant uh, uh, industry. And they were telling me that they, they thought that they, this is before we, we got the second stimulus, and they were saying that we really think we might be able to do okay this summer. Well, I think this, there's a monkey wrench here, and it's due to the, I think, good intentions that have had a bad result. I think that's, that's unfortunate.
0: I wonder, Keith, you know, there's some bills now pending, some legislators have tried to come up, maybe incentives and tweaking the program and everything. I wonder if on the short term, there's anything the legislature can do or whether we just have to play this out and eventually it's going to run out at the end of the summer. Have you thought about short term at all?
2: Well, there are short term training programs, but let's also understand that um, these workers, particularly workers in entry level service industries, it's all about a livable wage. I mean, you're also talking about you know high-end communities such as Newport, which I love and live in, but it's also a very cost-unfriendly place to live for many people. So the reality is, is that if we're looking to attract a younger, um, a newly-arrived workforce uh, within these entry-level service industries, uh, do those industries provide wages that are livable to allow them to live within the community that they work? If that's not the case, then we're going to have to be creative in transportation programs, Healthcare benefit programs, and other incentives. We have to provide incentives to attract and keep quality workers, regardless of the industry, and
1: possibly Uh, more now than ever. I'd like to add something to my remarks. Uh, You you have to say this about the employees who are staying at home. Remember, they're being hit as well, given the fact that many of them have children who are at home because schools have not been reopened uh, to, to a great extent. And so they've got to push-pull it. It may be, when I stressed the loyalty issue a minute ago, there, are no, there is the other aspect of it that some of these people may need to stay at home because they have children at home and they're doing remote learning with them. They've got to supervise them and all of that. So there, there was a point to be made, that, I, and I didn't want to miss that in my remarks that I made earlier.
0: All right. Uh, COVID, COVID, COVID. Part of the summer is the reopenings. Governor McKee is beginning to uh, draw back the restrictions, as a lot of states are. There's a lot to uh, cover here. Kids getting vaccines and reopening in schools in the fall. Uh, Donna, you've been thinking a lot about this. What's on your mind as we begin? Look, the numbers look good. The infection rate's going down. The CDC put out a report yesterday that said things are looking a lot better. But there's still some question marks as we begin to kind of get back to the new normal.
3: Yeah. um, And I think really, when we go back a year ago, I mean, we all should feel very, you know, relieved and hopeful. And it was, uh, we paid a big price for this, obviously. But we are at that point in this country that we are talking about turning the corner. And I think that was actually the CDC, um, Walensky's top, you know, that was her words just the other day, the the chief director there. So all good. And I, um, I've noted that, you know, when these major cities are announcing like New York, like they're gonna have this very signature reopening date, July one. I mean, that's amazing. They're gonna open all of New York, hundred percent capacity across restaurants, entertainment, amusements, um, you know, obviously the Yankees and all this stuff and they're getting people back in there, you know, with masking in certain conditions. Massachusetts obviously recently dropped the outside masking. So, um, and Boston right now, I think Baker is gonna be under pressure When we talk about catching the summer business, um, he's announced that uh, Massachusetts would be at an August 1 massive reopening date, but he's under pressure, I think, to move that up sooner. Uh, the conditions are just getting better and better. Massachusetts went from a bad vaccination, you know, rollout to they're really, we're really like the top state vaccinating. So it's all good news. And I would just say for Rhode Island, there should be, in my view, I don't know if McKee, I don't think so, has made kind of like a a signature reopening timeframe, but I think he should be under pressure to do that for this reason. When you talk about Newport, um, and Narragansett, et cetera, tourists, want to return businesses. They're looking for that big green light. And I think it's kind of also a, you know, a good marketing moment to say Rhode Island is, you know, reopening for the 4th of July or something. Um, I I think he should be urged to do that because, you know, these things um, signal to the public it's safe to get back around. Again, outside masking has finally been recognized, is not needed. It's really being... You know, legally dropped in in most states Um, inside a crowded restaurant that might be where it's prudent to continue. So, you know, I think as things go along, when you talk about these northeast states, they count on the summer coastal business. And so I don't think you want people talking about waiting around to August or Labor Day. I mean, that's where you see the jump. Connecticut and, by the way, in New Jersey are doing massive reopening, like, I believe, May 19th. Like, this is like mid-May. They're grabbing it. And the rest of the state of New York is now saying the tri-state region is open for business mid-May. So I think that should put pressure on Mass, where these Rhode Island, you know, the New England governors have really got to now say, we are open and we mean it. We are, like, open. And, and we want that Rhode Island needs that summer tourism business back.
1: Keith? John, I, I agree with you on oh, that, sorry, uh, if I may. Uh, yeah. I agree with you on that. The one concern that I have is in looking at the, the bevy of numbers that we see about Rhode Island and about the country, Rhode Island still is the, uh, I think it's the sixth uh, uh, state in terms of new cases of, of COVID now hopefully with the with the vaccinations that figure is going to be a little bit less onerous but i think we also have to remember that uh, newport draws people in from all around the world not just uh, from from uh, the region and uh, we got to i think we still have to be a little bit cautious that we don't overdo it too quickly where we, we end up uh, putting us up in the number one and the number two spot about new cases. That's based on a, a per capita basis, I should point out. But, but we're a small state, and if we end up with, with, uh, with uh, no protections at all to speak of, we may find ourselves in a real serious jam before the summer is out, not after the summer is out.
0: But what was the concern on that, Dave, all along? Who's getting infected, and, and this is what we talk about at the Thursday briefings. The, you are worried about young people getting infected because you come, may come home and infect and potentially kill your grandparent, right? Most of the elderly population is, is, uh, is vaccinated. The hospitalizations are down. And I'm not, I'm not sloughing off the infection rate, but the, but the end game of the seriousness to me now is less than what it was. So you have some younger people maybe getting and maybe that goes to the whole vaccination process. So they were worried about the variants that they were going to overrun the state. That really hasn't happened. So I appreciate your caution on that. And Keith, you can jump in here, too. I just I, I I wonder that the thought last year about the lockdown was the hospitalizations and potentially killing older people. And we vaccinated that population. Keith, go ahead and jump in.
2: No, I, I just tend to, maybe because I'm old, but I, I tend to agree with Dave that uh, we need to continue to be cautious. Um, let's not forget this was a worldwide pandemic of, of devastating proportions. So I, I think we need to manage ourselves step by step and we need medical technology uh, and research to guide our decisions as we go forward. There are new strains and variants as we speak. They're now discussing the potential for booster shots for all of us that have been double uh, vaccinated over the last several months. Um, I think what's important for all of us as Rhode Islanders as American people is not to mistake individual rights with civil liberties. I mean, we're looking to preserve the rights, the civil rights, which include all Americans of all classes, of all age groups. And this is a health crisis that really requires uh, a civil liberty approach that provides a balanced system for all.
3: I, I would agree. Um, but but I would also note, if I may, Jim, um, that here's where I think that, that the argument is still getting a little muddled. And I would put part of the blame on the communication that's coming from the White House. The vaccine is the game changer. That is what we did not have, obviously, 12 months ago. Uh, and I think that there has been miscommunication on the power of the vaccine. Here, here's what I'm saying. If someone is out and enjoying, you know, uh, and they're fully vaccinated and they're out with their spouse and they're in Newport or or wherever and down at Narragansett, you can't be infected by a, a another person. I think that just is there a small risk? Yes. Guess what? Viruses will exist on Earth for the rest of all of our natural lives and way beyond. So, like, is there a small risk? Yes. Um, you know, is there a risk that someone could knock your car off the Newport Bridge when you drive home? Yes. But the point is, the vaccine is the game changer. And I just think this idea that we, you know, we're going to go through the summer with the same caution as before. I think that's kind of missing this very distinct difference from what was occurring 10 or 12 months ago. Unvaccinated people, I will agree with you. Guess what? In my view, they're taking their own risk at this point. And, and I just think there's people who probably never get a flu shot. They never get medical care. You know what? That's really a, a very dangerous way to live. But there are people out there. So I I guess that's the I just see it a little differently. I just think that that is the point of the vaccines. We all have to rem- what a vaccine means is you're inoculated, you know, Um When they did the polio vaccine a lot of years ago, um, you know, dating myself here, people then did not wonder or worry their child would get polio. So I I just think that to go forward at this point, that's why you're seeing mayors of New York, where, you know, they were certainly cautious about New York, Baker and Massachusetts. They know that that when you have a vaccinated population, the game has changed. And I think that you just have to uh, go forward. And just lastly, I don't think there's international flights coming in everywhere And so I think that's the difference. I don't think you can just fly, you know, over from anywhere right now. So I think there is a caution about international travel, Dave, in terms of our our visitors coming to Newport freely. I'm not aware of that right now.
0: The the other thing that I would ask Dave and Keith, and I don't mean to Pete, this is Jim and Donna against Dave and Keith here, but we seem to be leaning a little bit more toward the reopening. The, the whole with the vaccine, and I wonder about, because I've, I've thought a lot about this, why aren't people getting the vaccine? Is it laziness with, from some of the younger people? Is it hesitancy in some places? you got to give people an incentive. And so you hear, okay, everybody's going to be vaccinated, but our kids are still going to have to wear masks going back to school in the fall. Or we're, we're not going to let these restrictions uh, come back. What is the incentive then for people to go out and get it if it's just going to be the same way as it, as it always was? Uh, either one of you can take that. I just I've been thinking about this a lot. Why are we not getting to that 70, 75% of people getting vaccinated?
1: Well, just to my point, I, I, I wasn't suggesting that we, that we uh, you know, not reopen. That, that, that was not my point. My point was I think we, we, we got to be careful that we don't overdo this because uh, some of the cities we talked about, New York and, and, and others, have gone through these loops where, you know, things were looking much better, restrictions were, were pulled off and then suddenly they're back in, in the game and they're, they've got to impose more restrictions again. Now, I realize the game changer has been the vaccinations and, and uh, over half, I think, of, the, uh, of adults are now vaccinated, which is a good sign. I was offering this cautionary note that we've got to be careful that in our exuberance to get back to normal, which I support, believe me, I, I fully support that. I just think we've got to be careful we just don't cave in all together because this thing could come back and haunt us. You know, this is still a mystery illness to some extent, and I wouldn't want to see us have to go through all of this all over again or to some level of this all over again and say, what, didn't we learn from, from the past year and a half what, how to do this or do it better? Keith, I'll give you the last word quickly.
2: Uh, my question is just based on the fact of the impacted populations, and when you look very carefully at the documented impacts and disruptions on population by class, by race, and by ethnicity, it's Latino, it's African American, it's Southeast Asian, it's urban dwellers, it's younger people within those population sets, and surprisingly, or ironically, those are the same populations that are part of our service industries. So my sense is is that health and safety first, and then the economy comes back. So everything that we can do. To support those communities to be able to deliver vaccines and health systems and health information to those highly impacted populations will benefit those populations first and the larger community economy second. They go hand in hand. Okay. In, I have
0: a
3: okay. go ahead, Donna. No, you go ahead. <laughs> I'm sorry. Quickly. Last word of the last word. And, and I just want to say, and I think he will change what he said, I think it was very premature for Governor McKee to announce. Uh, what's going to happen, how schools will look next fall. I really do. I just want to say I think this is a very fluid situation at this point. I don't see any other governor saying that. And that's different from what you're hearing from Baker. They're more talking about would you mandate vaccines for 12 to 15 year olds. I think you might see more of a uh, momentum for that. So I think it's way premature to say you're going to have mass children next fall. I, I kind of doubt that. And I don't think the schools want that, by the way. We'll see. All right,
0: let's do uh, outrages, and then I have a couple other things I want to get to. Dave, you have an outrage or a kudo this week?
1: Yeah, actually, I have a kudo. There's an effort in the General Assembly to revisit the uh, Law, Law Enforcement Officers' Bill of Rights. Uh, having been a reporter in Rhode Island and elsewhere for the for many, for many several decades, I have seen other uh, cities, other states uh, operate a little bit differently. The I think the Rhode Island Law Enforcement Officers' Bill of Rights is probably the most favorable to police uh, of any in the country or close to that. And I think it's, uh, it's time this be re- revisited. Uh, police chiefs literally have their hands tied when it comes to uh, an officer who may be uh, suspected of having broken the law himself in the course of doing his, his work. Uh, and I think, I think this, this is long overdue and I don't think we should th- throw everything out uh, and I'm not an expert on the bill, but I can tell you that that there there's a, too much, uh, I think it, it's weighted too heavily on the police officers, uh, allowing them to have, I think, special privileges well above and beyond uh, what the average citizen would have. And I think it's time that the police chiefs should be able to hold their officers accountable in a more fluid way. And I think, you know, we expect the police chiefs to run their, their departments. Law enforcement officer bill of rights, as it currently is, takes that away from them. I think that's a big mistake. And I think the way some of these stories about police and, pardon me, police brutality, I think, uh, underscore the, the points that I'm trying to make. Keith, what do you have this week? Outrage or kudo?
2: Oh, it's a kudo. Um, I think despite the, the shutdown, the disruptions with covid uh, later this week into next week, uh, a number of Rhode Island high schools are competing for one of the first all-show wind turbine design competitions, and they're doing it all virtually. Um, and it's from Exeter, West Greenwich, to Shea and Pawtucket. And just watching these kids over the last several weeks work on this virtually, uh, not able to have physical contact, not even get to their schools, uh, it's a tribute to their resiliency. And to me, watching these young people do what they do and what is probably one of the fastest growing industries in the state and the nation in the world. Uh, It's pretty exciting. And it gives me hope that we're going to have a bright future with our Rhode Island schools. That's great. Donna, what do you have?
3: Um, I have an outrage. And that is that the uh, just about this muddled non-decision decision decision from Facebook, which is supposed to be a communication company, and this awkward board thing that got rolled out in the past few days. Um, Talk about, and Dave, you're a longtime public relations expert. I mean, to me, they created for themselves like a new public relations disaster by having this, you you bother to have an oversight board. Obviously, the Donald Trump decision is high-pitched and, uh, you know, awaited. They make this big announcement. 9 a.m. they're going to announce this thing. And it's a non-decision decision. They essentially pitched it back to Mark Zuckerberg, which I think is very notable, um, I personally do not care whether Donald Trump ever go- gets back on facebook. that's not what where my outrage is about. But you know this is a private company that essentially uh, is controlling how you know the communication of the planet. I mean they have a billion plus users It's how most people communicate with each other and exchange information and you know put out information and all these private groups and everything else. And the company is not able to clearly communicate (laughs) at all. So should they be in charge of the planet's communication? I mean, that's just how it came out. The way I looked at what happened this week, Um, and then they again—they've just now they drag it on, and Trump can be a martyr and say, you know, I'm denied my free speech. You know, they've angered both sides. You then you saw uh, progressives on Twitter. It was you know hashtag delete Facebook because they were so angry. That they couldn't reach a decision. They want Trump. They want Trump banned forever. The conservative states a free speech issue, and now they've just made everyone uh, angry. I just think that you know this Orwellian doublespeak. If you tried to read that board's odd set of answers, and they were criticizing Zuckerberg. I mean, I just think the whole thing is absurd, and I just think it goes to show that the you know these platforms and that and Facebook especially. Um, you know, they function like in the old, like they are like a network, uh, a movie studio, a newspaper. They are, you know, radio news. They are everything wrapped into one. They're the biggest dog on the planet and they're not really regulated and they operate in a lot of secrecy. And, and I think this non-decision really shows that.
0: Dave, we have one minute left, Mr. Uh, Corporate Communications Consultant. What about what Donna said? And what about the way they handled it?
3: I really do agree uh,
1: with Donna. This this has become a uh, really a muddled mess. I guess maybe an optimist could say, well, at least the board, which is an independent Supreme Court type uh, uh, function, uh, they've at least said to Zuckerberg, you've got to you got to make this a whole lot clearer for everybody. I mean, one point that uh, that some of the uh, commentators have made is, if you're going to take Trump off, which I, frankly I'm glad he's off, but but there's the Civil rights or the or the media rights that I feel very strongly about, and First Amendment speech that uh, he should be able to say what he, what he wants to say. So I'm I'm troubled by that. I, I haven't really come to terms with that myself just yet. But I will say this that uh, that they have at least taken it on. This is a, this is, whole thing is new. This is a little bit like the pandemic. We don't quite know how to handle Facebook. It's really powerful. And there are a lot of people on Facebook who are still allowed to say whatever they want to say, and they are enemies of the country. They lie, cheat, and steal, and they're still on there. So there's a little bit of a, of a differentiation there that I'm not comfortable with either. All right, Dave, got to hold you there.
0: Folks, that is all the time we have, but it's not over yet. If you want to stick with us, we're going to do our special online bonus, Lively Extra. Go right now to ripbs.org slash Lively, and you can see Dave and Keith and Donna continue this conversation on a couple other topics. Panel, thank you for uh, joining us. We'll see you in a few minutes, and for the rest of you, we'll be we come back next week as the Lively Experiment continues. Have a great week.
1: experiment is generously underwritten by.
2: For more than 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm
3: John Hazen White Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS.